Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 99 with Adam White. Welcome to episode 99 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. My guest for this episode is a young sports business and digital media entrepreneur that founded a media company, which is on its way, if not already there, to becoming the go-to media website for information about the business side of the sports industry. Covering topics ranging from college sports, digital teams, to professional athlete real estate, to sports tech startups. Front Office Sports has made a large impact in the niche of sports business in a short time. Originating out of his home while a sophomore at the University of Miami, today's guest created content for this passion project while his mother edited the articles. If you're an avid Twitter user in the sports business, you'll know him as at FOS Adam. I'm very happy to welcome to the show the founder and CEO of Front Office Sports, Adam White. From MOS Adam, man, what's up? MOS Adam to FOS Adam. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? It's uh, and the funny thing was, is man, if people were really following me back in the day, it was at the original A Dub uh, was, <laughs> nice. was the handle that it was my, beforehand. But. My first ever Twitter account was Slim Six Two Four. I actually just went, you know, with all this stuff going on with the things, you know, people digging up old tweets. I just actually went back through mine recently. Yeah. Uh, and I was, I was like dumbfounded to see some of the stuff I tweeted when I was like 17. Cause I haven't had a, uh, I haven't had a Twitter like that long, right? I'm 23 now. So yeah. five, six years. And I was, I just looked at myself and I was like, man, what was I, I felt like I was looking at listening to Drake's in my feelings challenge. It was just like all these things left and right. And then, you know, some of these, I wouldn't say inappropriate stuff, but just stuff that you like wouldn't want to have. So I got rid of them. But I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, that's. Even us, right? It's not just, it's not just athletes, like, right? It's, oh, it's everybody, man. I mean, I, I um, uh, I was pretty lucky. So Twitter came about in like, I want to say I got on Twitter in like '07, and I didn't say anything for like a year because it was just so dead. <laughs> um, and then a buddy of mine was like, "Hey, you should get on Twitter," and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm there already, but nobody's on there." So I didn't know what it was, right? And and so I'm lucky in that I, you know, I was probably like 25. I want to say, oh, yeah. so I was I was past like the I wasn't you know going to be tweeting out some crazy like keg stand or whatever. I, I was lucky in that part, <laughs> and then like it skipped over my youth of like the terrible decisions. I was at least somewhat somewhat mature at that time. <laughs> Um, so I got to yeah. ask, man, your Twitter bio says uh, something about the price is right. What is this? Is this for real? Yeah, man. Uh, I think that was, you know, when I got the itch to become a star. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> 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 but yeah, so I went for my 18th birthday. The Basically, the what my 18th birthday, I graduated high school when I was 18. So like right before winter break I turn 18 in October and I'm from Arizona originally and my sister and I had watched Price is Right growing up with my older sister and she's like hey I'll take you when you're 18 and I was like all right game on and so we drove over to LA a quick six-hour drive from Phoenix so it's not too too bad 
And we used my mom's points that she had acquired through her work to stay and tickets are free. And so we ended up you know, going and we got there super early the day of and they you know put us in priority. And then from there we went and we were actually like extras on extra with Mario Lopez. So that was pretty funny. Uh, I never saw the episode, so I don't I don't even know if I was there, but I know we were in the background at one point. And then we ended up coming back to the studio, and there's actually two tapings of The prices. Right. They have one early in the morning. We went into the afternoon one, and I was there with her, and I was wearing, you know, it's my 18th birthday, and she had a shirt. Oh, wow. <laughs> Happy birthday, bro. Uh, and so what happens is you go in. They had put us in priority. Like I said tickets are free, so, like, you know, a lot of people show up, and some people don't go get in. Uh, but because we were there early, they gave us the priority and we went in uh, and you get in this line where they give you all your paperwork to fill out your taxes. They give you your, you know, your sticker and your number. They have a gift shop, of course, so you can buy stuff. Uh, I did not buy anything. And then from there, you go to another area where the producer for the show comes out and interviews people. It's like 12, 13 people at a time, right? Uh, he just goes down the line. And luckily for us, uh, we were the third group, I think, interviewed. And in my group, it was, you know, probably 75-year-old, 75-year-old, 80-year-old, 65-year-old. <laughs> my sister, me, who's 18 and has been up in the, since like 6 o'clock in the morning and bouncing off the rails. And then just, you know, a bunch of other old, old people behind us and nothing against old people. But uh, I think it was the fact that... I kind of stood out in this group, right? There's this, all these other people and then there's me. And I kind of had an inkling at the time because, you know, the producer asked everyone, you know, one or two questions. And then when he got to me, he asked me like four questions. And I was thinking to myself, okay, well maybe this is, maybe this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then from there you go to another spot outside of the studio. They check your phones because uh, you can't have phones inside the studio. And they turn on an episode of The Price is Right to get everyone fired up. And they deliver a lunch. If you had ordered lunch, there's bathroom, so you can take it to go to the bathroom. And then you get inside the studio. And what was funny is, was we were going inside the studio. There's the pages with the the red jackets you'll see in the show. And they'll come, and they were like, you know, helping people sit down. And they were taking me and my sister to sit somewhere. And then what was funny is the guy who we saw at the very beginning of the day outside of the gate who gave me and her priority like came out of nowhere in the studio and grabbed us and walked us somewhere else. And I was thinking to myself, okay, now like this is, this is too much. Yeah, like, this is a little has, weird. Something, yeah. <laughs> something has to be going on here. And so then what's his name? I think it's uh, George Gray comes out and, you know, does the whole warm up to the crowd kind of thing. 300 people in the studio and it's funny because on TV, you know, you can hear people's names called, but there it's so loud, it's very hard to hear people's names called. Right. And so as the show gets started, there's, you know, an, an intern or is like, you know, someone who's like a production person, I'm not really sure, but a younger person uh, uh, on the staff, and they have big poster boards with your name written on it. So you can see, uh, you know, this is, you know, this is what they're calling because mm -hmm. it is very hard to hear. And so the show gets started and, you know, he's flipping these things and lo and behold, he whips up my name and I was one of the first four people to be called down. And it's so funny because you get down there and then, 
you know, Drew Carey's five feet away from you. All right. these people are behind <laughs> you screaming at you. It happened so fast. And I had a really new and true appreciation for the fact that people make really crazy bids on the prices, right? Because it's actually a lot harder than you think it is mm-hmm. when you're just thrown into the fire. And <laughs> it was funny because I, I think our, our first bid, our first thing that we had was, you know, pots and pans set, not anything an 18 year old kid could have anything to deal with. Uh-huh. Uh, but I want to say I bid something like $1,200, something Jeez. absolutely ridiculous <laughs> on it. And so I didn't, I didn't get up on that one, obviously, but did you dance all goofy there. running down the aisle? Or like how? Yeah. Many? yeah I, I, uh, so there was a group to, to, that was to the right and above us that we had met at the Mario Lopez thing. And so I went up there and like, you know, gave them the biz and all that stuff. And it was funny because a girl in that group ended up getting called down too. So it was, it was just like a really kind of surreal moment that we were both down, uh, in the contestants row. And so I made it through the first half. I didn't get called up. I didn't get anything right. Made it through the second half, which is like the second three people, and the first, so I was the second to last person to go up. And so at the time I was like sweating, uh, but what had come out was a, a PlayStation three. And of course, you know, an 18 year old kid, right. on PlayStation three, like I got this on lock yeah. and, and sure <laughs> enough, I, I got it on lock and I, I got up there and I had to play uh, most expensive. So very easy game. And it was between Mark Jacobs accessories, which is like a bag, glasses, watches, whatever, uh, a sauna, which as someone who lives in Arizona, I had no, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then two flat screen TVs. And so I was like, okay, yeah, like sauna, obviously this isn't even hard. And so I ended up, you know, winning all that stuff, which was awesome. Made it to the, to the, the part where you get to spin the wheel and, uh, I was the last person to spin because I had won the most of those, the second three people to come up. And the lady in front of me was actually the lady who was the one that I, that we had met at Mario Lopez. And so the guy, I think there was a guy, he spun it. I want to say he got 65 or something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head. Then she spun it. She got a 90. And I was thinking to myself, all right, this is it. You know, it's, it's been fun, whatever. And the wheel is a lot heavier than you'd expect. It's like a lot heavier than you'd expect. And so I just went up there and I let her rip. And lo and behold, the damn thing lands on 95. And I think at that point I blacked out <laughs> a little bit because I really don't remember too much. I remember like, picking Drew Carey up or like giving him a big hug and you know all this other stuff. <laughs> and so then you get to the showcase showdown and it was, I mean, it was like a dream come true. An 18 year old, I've been watching the prices right forever. I get to the showcase showdown. I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to lose. Right. And so I was me and this uh, older lady named Dolores. And, uh, the first showcase was a, you know, a home gym, $5,000 cash, a trip to Bora Bora and online nutritionist for a year. An 18-year-old kid, I was like, yeah, well, I'm trying to get a car. You know, where's my car? I'm going to pass it to Dolores. And so Dolores, bless her heart, she bid $9,000. And I was standing there and I said, wait a second, this lady just bid $9,000 on something that has $5,000 in cash alone. Right. And so at that point, I was like, I have this in the bag. There's no way I can, there's no way I can lose. There's no way I can get this wrong, whatever. And so my showcase comes up and it's a sailboat, a trip to Hong Kong and a trip to Bangkok. 
and I'm sitting there doing the math, blah, blah, blah. And it's funny because my lucky number for my entire life has always been 24, 24, 24, 24. But I was gun shy because she was so low. I didn't want to go over. So it was funny. And I bid 23,000. And if I would have bid 24,000, I may have a sailboat to that, to this wow. day. But so which would be nice out, in Miami. Yeah, it would be nice, <laughs> nice in Miami. But it comes down to it, and she, they, we flip the cards, and or you know, Drew says, okay, you know, Dolores, you bid nine thousand, actual retail price twenty one thousand, whatever. So she was under by like twelve thousand one hundred and fifty dollars. Then he goes to me, and I'm you know ready to jump over the thing, ready to celebrate because I got this in the bag. And, you know, you bid 23000 actual retail price is 35260 or whatever it was. So she was closer to me to, by her price by like $110 or something like that. Uh, and so she ended up winning, which, you know, is great and all these other things. But, yeah, it's just a, it's a pretty surreal experience. And the funny thing is, is that after you win, you can't win for another 10 years. So I plan to go back in 10 years and see... <laughs> try my luck at 28 and see what we can do. But, and then the other funny thing is I had no idea about this, but my grandmother, when the price is right, was like originally in New York city, way, 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 way back in the day, was a contestant herself and ended up winning a refrigerator. Wow. So I don't know if there's a legacy for prices. It's a family right. tradition, man. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> that's crazy. Well, I love hearing the part about the, uh, the spinning the wheel because I'm always like, why are people, not spinning that thing harder, but now I guess since it's so heavy, it makes, it makes sense. Yeah. It's, it sneaks up on you. It sneaks up on you. Yeah. That's nuts, man. That's a good story to have though in the, in your back <laughs> yeah. pocket. Right. I mean, yeah, I always, ever, ever since then, you know, that you know, when you go to school and all throughout college, tell us the, you know, the most interesting fact about you. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well I got a pretty good one. Oh yeah. So, it's definitely got to be at the top of the top of the group, whichever group that you tend typically are in. Yeah, it was. It's a it's a good one to have in the back pocket for sure. For sure, man. For sure. So I want to talk. Uh, obviously, you you founded uh, Front Office Sports. Um, typically, so podcasters, reporters, TV show hosts, panel moderators typically provide a service to an audience in which they essentially guide an an honored guest or guests, uh, people whom others want to hear from through their own story. And they do so through questions and probing and promoting. But oftentimes the interviewer, whose job is thankless, uh, gets left behind in regards to telling their own story. Because after all, telling your own story as an interviewer obviously defeats the purpose of bringing a guest aboard a platform to be interviewed. So today, from one interviewer deep in the niches of sports business to another, <laughs> I wanted to give you an opportunity to share your story. So, as, so as the man behind Front Office Sports, uh, the site has has given uh, given so much to young professionals, and and I include myself in that. I'm I'm 35, which you know some people are like you're you're old, but I, I don't know what's the cutoff. I feel like the cutoff on young professional is like 40, but maybe that's. I mean, we work for like 40 40 years, man. So it's like. I'm only like 15 years in, well, less than 15 years in my 12 years into my career. So, yeah, I think the I think the number I think the number moves. And the funny thing is too is, while it may seem you know like a lot of our audience is is the young professional, at, at least 50 percent of our audience is in decision making or senior level positions in the industry. So, oh yeah, it seems you, you guys have definitely shifted shifted that. It feels like over the years. So let's talk about the founding of front office sports and just a little bit about your own story kind of even leading up to it. So I know you started it at, as a sophomore, 
uh, yep. in undergrad. Uh, but why don't you tell us about your, your you know, obviously uh, we heard the price is right aspect, but <laughs> kind of the decision uh, heading to the University of Miami and kind of really just getting involved in the sports business at all. I mean, did you start as a major in the sports business over there or would you start somewhere else? Or let's hear, hear about that a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, quite honestly, if I could do my college application process over again, I would. Uh, I wouldn't change where I ended up. Absolutely not. I, I had an incredible four years at the University of Miami. But when I was coming out of school, I was dead set on playing baseball. So I had swam and played baseball in high school. Uh, and I was dead set on playing baseball. And I kind of really didn't put enough focus on making sure that I applied to the places I wanted to apply to. And so I was, I was, you know, basically I, I suicide applied to, to the Coast Guard Academy. And even in the Price is Right episode, I say I'm going to the Coast Guard Academy, which I thought I was at the time. Lo and behold, I come to find out that I didn't, I didn't get accepted. And so at that point it was, I want to say late February, maybe early March. And I had no idea where I was going to school. And so I had applied to places like Alabama because the football team was good. Right. You know, I was a, a, I was a sports kid. I'd grown up around sports my whole entire life. And somehow I had started to fill out an application for the University of Miami, but uh, didn't ever finish it. And we had been, you know, kind of in talks with the, the baseball coaches here saying, hey, you know, is there an opportunity for, you know, potentially like a walk on or something like that? And they're like, yeah, you know, we think you could have a shot, but we'd have to, you know, come to see you, whatever. And so I ended up going down and visiting. And so I ended up applying in, I want to say early March. Somehow, some way, I don't know to this day what happened, but I, I mean, that's like, four months after the application deadline for a place like that school. And within a week I got an acceptance package and I was like, okay, I don't know what happened, but then we scheduled the stuff. We went down, visited with the coaches. They said, yeah, there's an opportunity, blah, blah, blah. This is what you need to work on over the summer. You know, we'll see you here if you end up coming. And so I flew back and I was like, well, I don't really have another choice and I don't really have another option. So I might as well go and, and see what the heck happens. And so lo and behold, I came down, tried out for the team, didn't make it, which is fine. Uh, and then I was a sport admin major from the beginning, right? So I was, was always in the program and I ended up, you know, my freshman year, we have a, a sports bar on campus. So I ended up starting working there and I was doing, you know, washing dishes. And then I was, you know, being a fry cook and everything that an 18 year old probably should do while they're in college. And, uh, throughout that process, right. I had a couple sport admin classes and one of the classes they told me, they said, Hey, you should do a, an information. You, you, I mean, it wasn't, you should do an informational interview is there's a project or, you know, as part of the requirement right. for, you know, this class is the syllabus is you have to do an informational interview. And so as I was thinking, I said, okay, well, if I'm going to do this informational interview, why, why don't I just do more? Uh, and so, you know, I didn't really think about it then. I finished off my freshman year. I came back to Arizona. I played baseball over the summer. I was trying to get a job when I was back, but I was only home for three months and it didn't really work out. So I was thinking, all right, I'm working out in the morning. I'm playing baseball at night. Uh, what can I do in the interim to find a way to, to get my foot in the door in the industry? And so 
I started to look around and I thought back to the informational interviews and I'm like, all right, well, maybe this is something we can do or maybe this is something I can do. And looked around and see a lot of people were covering the people who worked in the sports industry, right? There's a lot of stories of the LeBrons of the world and rightly so, but there's not a lot of the people of the behind the scenes, right? You know, and, and all these things. And so at the time, which was 2014, uh, I ended up was like, talked to my dad. I said, Hey, look, I want to do this. You know, what do you think we should call it? And I went through a bunch of different things. It was, you know, first it was going to be executive report. And then I can't even remember what the, the other one was. And for some reason we settled on uh, front office sports. I paid one of my buddies who at the time I worked out with was a graphic designer, 40 bucks for the original logo that we had up until last year. And I put together a point-and-click Wix website that was black background with white text. Don't ask me why. (laughs) Don't ask me what I was doing. It's reminiscent of the old MySpace days. (laughs) Yeah, I just thought it was cool, I guess. And it was different. And so I put it together, bought myself the the frontofficesports.org because frontofficesports.com at the time was like a a premature ejaculation website. Someone was squatting on it. I don't know what the heck it was, but it just... Is is this still unavailable? Yeah, someone else owns it. Yeah, so that's why it's uh, frontofficesports.com. So, but I mean, we changed it all over to that and everything matches our handles and everything like that. So try to make it as seamless as possible. But yeah, someone still owns it. Um, It's the same person, I believe. I I can't remember if it it is not, but they don't don't do anything with it. So... Well, they probably can't now because you've built a brand around front office yeah. sports. I mean, that's that's yeah. the crazy thing about squatting on domains that I think a lot of people don't understand is that like someone could totally still build a brand around a thing, and then it doesn't matter anymore, right? Because I mean, yeah. I, I actually, so you could you could probably even trademark front office sports and and just get the domain. I, I trademarked Makers of Sport. Yeah. And I used to think, well, I need to buy every single domain. But then I found out now that, you know, you, you can run through some of these, especially with social media, run through like the little policies. And if somebody started something like maker of sports or something, I could, t- I could just show them the trademark and then yeah. the, the brand itself would just take it away. It's a little different with domains, obviously, but, um, you know, I don't know as, as things progress, you might, might look into that. Yeah, we're in the process of it, actually. Uh, we started working on that a couple months ago, so hopefully get it all set um, because, you know, quite frankly, this was still mostly a hobby, not but, you know, four, five, six months ago. So, right. Which, but, which yeah, is crazy, so, and I definitely want to get yeah. into that. So did yeah. you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Uh, I would say yes on my dad's side, or, or at least with my dad, right? So he's done anything and everything, right? Uh, he's been all over the place. It was a salesperson. Uh, he sold everything from water systems to, you know, he ran his own spa business at one point in his life. He has, you know, a patent on a wind solar electric generator that he, you know, he never finished college. He was just in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I grew up around a lot of that and I don't, I don't know if that was really what, what did it. Um, and then, my mom, you know, she was just a, uh, she's just is, you know, a normal work a day type person. But I think what was a really key in my development, and one thing that I, that I see nowadays, and I'm, I'm disappointed by, is the fact that I, I always went with my parents, at least when I was younger, to all of the conferences my mom put on, right? And I was always there, and my mother and my dad were always introducing me to people who were five, six, seven, eight, nine, maybe even 10 times my age at the time. Mm-hmm. 
and I had to interact with them and I had to, you know, engage with them and I had to find ways to talk to them. And I've mentioned it before on, you know, other things that I've been on. And I think it's the most important thing that had ever happened to me is they, they got me out and they got me in a situation where I knew how to handle speaking with people who were older than me, you know, and, and carrying myself. And as someone I mentioned while we were, before we jumped on, when I was serving in the restaurant, I see just like I, all these people just wander in with their kids. They throw their screens up in front of them, put the headphones on the kids and they eat dinner and they talk while the kids are just watching TV or watching whatever it is. And it's just, it's, it's just sad. And I, I mean, I'm not knocking anyone's parenting styles or anything like that, but I just think that there's, you know, there's such still such an important aspect uh, of being able to, to communicate in person. Uh, I know digitally everyone can send emails and you can text and you can do most things without ever having to see someone in person. But the opportunity that presents itself when you are in person uh, is just something that really leads to, to the next level, whether it's, you know, on business deals, whether it's, you know, working with someone to do an interview or, or whatever it may be. Right. It, it, it's just such a, such a crucial thing. So I agree a thousand percent on that. I mean, I, I'm a parent, I've got, uh, an eight and six year old, eight and six year old boys. And then I have, I just had a daughter a month ago and it's, it's easy to sort of go down that wormhole of like, yeah, it's just so much easier to give them this iPad or, you know, I don't know, even, even now, like let them play Fortnite or something. Yeah. Um, but I think that you're very lucky in the, in having parents that, um, sort of forced you to engage with people. And yeah. I had, I was going to ask this later on, but it actually makes so much sense now that one of the things that I find interesting, interesting about you as a young person is that you're going into the room with these major sports executives and conducting interviews and speaking their language of business and appearing comfortable. And so, um, that obviously now makes sense pointing back to, mm-hmm. to you growing up and being in those situations. Cause I know even me personally, I, I still get nervous sometimes when I try to speak to people, I was more of a wallflower um, yeah. up until probably, I don't know, maybe even, even after college, I thought that, well, I'll just go and um, I'll just work at a job for 40 years. <laughs> and then yeah. it's like something changes in it. And I did like, and you, you do like one brave thing. Um, yep. And then you, and then that leads to another brave thing. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? This is actually not that bad. No. So kudos to you for that, man. And your parents for, for having you do that. I mean, I I was, the fact that you're able to remain so poised and has it always been like that? Even, even when you transition into actually interacting with these executives, right? Like were you, are you, Uh, I mean, look, the first time I, I, interview like my very first interview, if we go back to the very first time I interviewed someone, I was in my room in Arizona air conditioned full blast. Yeah, it was 112 degrees in the summer. Man, I don't think I may have sweat more in my entire life. I, I didn't know what I was doing. The questions I had them listed out on a piece of paper and I just went through it like a machine gun, like, like brrr, you know, one after another, after another, after another, there was no flow. There was nothing to it. I was just, you know, how did you do this? How did you do this? How did you? And for, I mean, I, so it's almost like almost like robotic. It's like yeah. it's like ten questions on uh, on a worksheet in like middle yeah. school or something. Just like. yeah, man. I interviewed the person for for two hours, uh, and God bless them, right? Like for sure, like they stuck around with this kid who was way out of his league. Uh, and the funny thing was, is I learned right away because when I had to go back and transcribe the interview. It took me four hours because you have to, you know, you have to go through all this stuff. And I said, oh, well, this is not going to work if I want to do more of these. 
And so, you know, I cut it quickly, but you know, the one thing I've learned is, is just over time is yes, the person may be a VP and yes, the person may be this and yes, the person may be the CMO of this and this, but without that title, like they're just a normal person for the most part. And so the more that you can approach them being a normal person, the, the, the conversation and the opportunities just absolutely shift. Right. So, you know, if you're talking to the head of whatever sports marketing for Anheuser-Busch or whatever it may be, right. It's, he's just a normal person. And a lot of the time people like approach him like he's not right. Or they approach him in different ways because of, because of who he is rather than just approaching him like a normal guy, asking him about what he's doing, how's the family, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, it's just, you just break down so many barriers if you just forget about their title. And it's, and if you're talking to, you know, David Wright, uh, the chief marketing officer of the minor league baseball, who I spoke with recently, it's just David Wright at the end of the day, right? David Wright is David Wright. Yeah, right. he's the CMO and the chief commercial officer of minor league baseball, but you get rid of that and the whole thing opens up. And I think that was one of the things that I, that I realized early on is, you know, you don't, they're just normal people, right? They just, right? Just like you and I, we can sit here and have a conversation. Anyone else can, can sit here and have a conversation. And that goes for, for really anyone, right? Like, uh, they they just want to talk and yeah. they just have someone who's engaged with them and who is knows about them and who's done their research and if you do that it just it just becomes super easy and now obviously I've done so many uh, I did 110 interviews in the first year right uh, uh, and after that it was you know it became almost kind of like second nature but now at this point it's just it's different though but it's it's a different type of conversation because of the fact that as you get better, there's more expectations, right? As you get, there's more expectations you put on yourself and there's just more expectations of the people who you're working with, right? Instead of me doing it over the phone and things like that, we've done a lot of stuff on video recently and, and you know, people have really liked that, but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother animal, right? In yeah, terms I can't of, even imagine that. I'm straight, I'm straight audio. I can't be thinking about like, <laughs> what, what, what do I physically look like when I'm asking questions with my hands? I mean, I speak with my hands a lot anyway. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like moving right now with my hands, but luckily it's audio. But you know, yeah. it's, it's, I think you, you have a good point in that like, once you break down past like what a person does, it's, they are just people and, and yeah. even, even professional athletes. And I work with yep. um, a lot of guys that come from the university of Kentucky and then go to the NBA and you know, these, these they're kids and they are into things like Fortnite and, and sneakers. And they're, it's, it's sort of like the whole LeBron James, like more than an athlete, right? Like people are people. And, and I think that, that some people also do tend to have a natural capability to break down, um, I'm trying, I'm kind of losing train of thought on what, what word I'm looking for here, but it's almost like the atmosphere, right? Yeah. Like barriers, walls, but like just the atmosphere of like a room uh, to make, they have like a natural ability to make people feel comfortable as opposed to some people just make, make everyone feel really uptight and afraid and nervous. (laughs) Right. Um, and, and I think you probably have that. So that's like just a natural thing that you were gifted with. Um, I've been told that I have that too. Usually when I do my podcast, it's like, it's just like you're talking to some dude that you've known for a long time. Yeah. Right. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with just, you also can't just have these grandiose expectations of people. 
of, yeah. you know, because at the end of the day, everyone's just a human being and everybody's trying to feed their families and everybody's trying to like make a little money. And, and that's just, that's just life, you know? I mean, it's, yeah. it's just and how everybody it was in your spot at one point, right? If you're younger, uh, even if you're older, right? Everyone was. Everyone yeah, absolutely. Was- and, and I mean, the reality is, uh, the, you know, the CMO of minor league baseball, yeah, he's somebody to us, but he's nobody to like, like my dad, you know what I'm saying? Or like yeah. just Johnny baseball fan. Like they don't care yep. about who, who some of these people are that we interview, but that's, but we're, we're deep into a niche of sport, right? So we've, we've chosen an audience to do that. So one thing that I, that, that you guys do really well, and this is something that I've always preached that it's kind of like a practice what you preach thing. I'm very bad about, <laughs> about not practicing it, um, is consistency. I mean, even when you started off like consistency, 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 um, especially with like a blog or news website, you have to continue, you have to be consistent it's, if you, you know, obviously if you want to sell ads on the site. Um, so I'm curious when you were in school and you started the company, which, which obviously I'm assuming in your head wasn't a com- wasn't planning on being a company yet. <laughs> no, 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 no. How Very did you fun. keep up with the consistency with the school workload? Um, you know, it was it wasn't too. It was just something that I had a lot of fun with, right? It wasn't anything that was taxing. It wasn't anything that was hard. Uh, and you know, quite honestly, early on, people reached out to help out, right? Russ, the guy who's our number two now, he. I put a note in the the University of Miami Facebook group and I said, Hey, look, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. I don't know where it's going to go, but it it might be fun. And he was the only one who responded. I bought him a Caesar salad at the rat, which was the bar that we, that I worked at. And, you know, he started doing social media stuff for us. And so, and I was just focused on the writing. And the thing is, is it almost becomes, I would say intoxicating, but it just becomes, you just wake up the next day and you're like, okay, who can I interview today? Or who can I read? Because the thing is, is you start getting, at least at that point, we started getting more people to know about us. We started reaching out to more people. Our, the fact that I could reach up and get a VP now was like such an exciting thing, right? I could go and, and interview a VP, whereas when I first started, I was interviewing entry-level people and things like that. And not that there's anything wrong, right? Again, like I said, if you strip it all down, so they're all the same people, but as someone who had just started doing that stuff, you're like, wow, you know, I know this person is going to share the article. It's going to be our best one that we ever do. All these other things. And it was just those little things that kept you interested, right? Is you just kept getting, my big thing is get better, get 1% better every day, whatever that 1% is. Um, and so that was, that was really uh, a fun part of it. And I was still doing it in school. So there was no pressure. I had school on the backdrop. I made sure I was doing it. And like I said, I was just building it while I was while I was in school for what I was doing. So it was just kind of like it was natural. Uh, and then I got to do more things, and and eventually, you know, people started wanting more from us. And I think that's where a lot more of the consistency came from, is because we started out doing strictly informational interviews, like strictly Q and A type stuff, no commentary, just straight Q and a, uh, people started reaching out. Hey, you should cover this. Hey, you should cover this. Hey, you should do this. So we started evolving and evolving. And, you know, the newsletter at one point was Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then we moved it, you know, to weekly. And then, you know, it was at one point it was just, just all of our content. And now obviously it's, it's very different and it's a, a hodgepodge of content from everywhere else. And then, you know, still the content that we have, but I mean, it, it wasn't hard, right? It was just, it was just something that you, I had to be dedicated to. Uh, and it's funny because 
I was still playing club baseball at the time. I was working like 40 hours a week at the restaurant. I was going to school full time. I was trying to live a normal sophomore, junior year of school. Uh, but it was just something that I always fell back on as, as something that I like to do. And, and it kept me kind of grounded. I would say it kept me out of trouble. Not that I was going to get in much trouble, but it just, like when you really find something that you like a lot, it doesn't become hard. It just is becomes like priority, right? So you know, instead of going out on Friday nights, I would stay in and just work on interviews for the week, right? And then make sure that all the stuff was set up for the week. Uh, and it's very similar, you know, still now to this day, right? Like, whatever it is that you want to do, you're you're only going to get out how much you how much you put in. And that's the and that's the the big thing that I've always been able to look at it. I said, well, if I want more out of this, I'll just put more in and, and see what happens. And I just you know you deposit a little bit more time, a little bit more time, a little bit more time, and you know now I spend I don't know it's twelve to probably fourteen hours a day doing different stuff for the site, which I you know I don't recommend for for most people. But the thing is, is those twelve to fourteen hours fly by because I'm dealing with something I love. I'm dealing with a lot of people that I love and you know care about deeply of all the people who work on the site. Uh, and in the end of the day, we're just writing about sports. Like there's, I, I, you wake up every day and you're like, I mean, my life could be a heck of a lot worse. I'm writing about an industry that I think is pretty cool. There's a lot of bad things going on in the world. And I'm someone who can get up every morning and get on my laptop and, and talk to people that I want to talk to uh, and make an impact, right? And that was, I think, one of the other things, too, is that we started to see that a lot of these things were starting to make a, a little bit of an impact, right? A little bit of an impact, a little bit of an impact. And then we rolled out Rising 25, you know, two years ago now and to see what happened after the first year and then, you know, to see what happened last year and to see now people who are tweeting about, I want to be a rising 25 person and that's my goal for the year that I look at that and I'm like, well, shit, I have to make sure front office sports is around in a year to at least give that person a chance. <laughs> right, right. To have that, right? <laughs> and so it's just those little things. It's just become you know, we've, we always mention it, the FOS squad, the community around it, you know, the people who give us feedback, like that's, that's what I want. That's what, that's what is kind of feeds the whole beast. And it, it's, it's just been, I mean, it's been an evolution and yes, it's been hard and yes, we've missed things. And yes, I've, you know, probably spent way too much time working on breaks when I was home and my mom probably wouldn't uh, you know, probably would agree with me there on that, <laughs> but it's, it's just, well, but I think you're at a good age though for this, because there are, I can't tell you how many friends I have or just stories that I read about people that, that say, I wish I would have started something when I was younger, when I didn't have the responsibilities yep. that I have now. Right. I mean, there are a lot of people that I know that have kids that would never start something now, or they use that as, as an excuse. Like I couldn't start something now because I have kids. Well, when you, when you do it at your age, you don't really know what it was ever like to even have a full-time job. So, no. you know, you're going to progress through your life, uh, you know, be that, you know, in the future, whether you even ever decide to get married and, and start a family and those type of th types of things as you get older, you don't know what it was like to have a full-time job in security <laughs> when you have those things happen. So, so you're not going to be as 
worried about it. And that's kind of how it was with me. Like I got married and I was a business owner and then I had kids and I was a, I was a business owner. So there was yep. never that, Oh, I got to like get this next paycheck. Cause I already knew what it was like to be out in the wild, <laughs> you know, like hunt, kill, eat sort of mentality. But yeah. you know, one thing I did notice with you, with, uh, with you guys and your sort of evolution is obviously front office sports kind of has that connotation of, uh, the front office of a professional sports team, right? But and but you do you do you cover more than that. You cover college athletics, and you've even branched out a little more into touching on like tech startups, esports, real estate. Um, and I've I've actually so when you think about the sports business in general and working in the sports business, I think a lot of people think, oh, you have to work for a team. And I actually push a lot of my listeners who are obviously a large percentage of designers and creatives that in order to be a sports designer or sports creative, you don't necessarily have to work for a team. There are other parts of this business. Um, sometimes that might even be working for a consumer brand, right? Like I, I have a buddy who's the brand sports marketing director for like Valvoline oil, right? And they're really big into like NASCAR and and, uh, and motorsports. So I'm curious, were these aspects of the sports business these sort of other tentacles into these other areas, um, were, were those something you were aware of when you started this uh, or when you started even your your degree and those types of things? Or has that just sort of evolved and learning about these micro levels of the sports business? Yeah, I would say it was something that I was aware about. It just at the time, we just couldn't get into the space, right? There was only so much time in the day and only so many things that we could do. And so the funny thing is, is that and you'll notice on the site is we've never been someone to break news. You know, every once in a while we will, if we have the opportunity, you know, when we had Baker Mayfield's, uh, where he was signing with his marketing representation, I feel like that's like maybe the only story we've broken legitimately in the last, I want to say the four years that we've been doing this. Uh, and because of the fact that we've always preached that, you know, just, tell good stories, right? Tell quality stories, tell, create value for whoever is going to be coming to the site. Uh, and as that has evolved, right, we've been able to see what people enjoy the most, right? So a lot of the stuff that people, our audience enjoys the most is sponsorship, marketing, revenue generating con- content about revenue generating things, ticket sales, the tech more so recently, everyone's talking about esports, So trying to, you know, bring that into the fold as well. But yeah, I mean, look, there's you can do a thousand different things in this industry, and unfortunately, uh, a lot of the people coming in only see agency and marketing and things like that. Where there's just, I mean, you can go and you can really basically go to school and a university for whatever it is that you want, and whatever it is that you're doing probably has some type of role, right? If you're doing if you're a computer science person, all of these teams now need that. If they're, if you're a, you know, a data person, everyone needs that. If you're, you know, a finance person, everyone needs that. If you're graphic design, everyone needs that, right? So, uh, I just, I just think that the opportunities only continue to multiply. Uh, and and when it comes down to our content, right, it's just all about showcasing it and. and really living by the credence that we've, you know, set forward for ourselves, which is the whole innovation through collaboration, right? You know, how are we putting forward stories that someone is going to be able to read and spend their five minutes reading and then is going to be able to go to their boss and say, hey, I read this on front office sports. This is what I learned. This is why I think we could do something similar. And that's, that's like the, 
that's the type of circle we want to create is that these people are coming, they're reading about great things, great people, uh, interesting stuff that's going on in the industry. They're going back and they're taking what they learned and the value from what they've learned and applying that to uh, whatever it is their job would be, right? You know, I wish we could produce 20 stories a day, right? But for us, it's, it's okay for now because the three to five stories on a really, really good day that we may get out, at least in my opinion, are stuff that someone can sit around and read for five minutes can say, wow, I learned a lot from this and, and I can take it back and, and I can add value to my employer and I can add value to myself and I can use it to you know, introduce an idea that could potentially give me uh, you know, a really good opportunity to maybe even get a promotion or a new hire because of the success of this idea. So that's kind of how the evolution is shaped out. And, and like I mentioned earlier, people just wanted for us to cover more things, right? They, they have told us what to cover and they have shown us what to cover and their clicks and their eyeballs and everything like that has kind of led us down this path to, okay, this is the, this is the areas that we need to cover at least for right now. So, so, and one thing I've noticed is you guys have switched your publishing platform a few times. I know that at one point you, kind yeah. of, you had a stint on medium. Uh, I know Bill Simmons, the, like the ringer launched on medium and then they later transitioned to, I think SB nation. So I'm curious if you could touch on that decision uh, as far as like hosting your content and, um, why, why maybe even you made the decision to use like a third party like medium. And then you've now come back to sort of own the content, man. That's probably been the bane of our existence. <laughs> uh, I mean, it just all comes down to you know me not knowing what we wanted to do and and just pure I wouldn't say immaturity, but immaturity in, in the business and the media space, right? A early on, Wix was the easiest one for me. I had no experience publishing. It worked for a one person type outlet, a one person type deal, point and click stuff didn't give us all the things that we wanted to. So we shifted to Squarespace when we had someone actually design the website, uh, because that's what they knew how to do. Squarespace was good, but really didn't work out for us for a while. Uh, at the time we didn't have any real money to go and pay anyone else. So we went to medium and the fact that we're like, ah, oh, well maybe we'll get some boosted traffic. I don't think there's any other front office. I don't think there's any other front office sports. I don't think there's any other, you know, sports business publication on medium. You know, it was the hot new thing everything was super simple, right? Like we didn't have to do anything. It was just, they, you know, they took care of everything. We just uploaded the content. Uh, it was simple as we were growing, but then we got to the point where we're like, we can't host videos. We can't, you know, put webinar stuff there. There's just a lot of limitations that we had, you know, making sure we were able to capture newsletter emails better. And so when we finally had the point, um, in, I believe in October of last year, we were, we were able to make enough money to actually have someone professionally design everything from the ground up on WordPress. We went ahead and, and pulled that trigger. Um, and, and it was good. Uh, I think, I don't think this will be the last evolution of it. There's still a lot of things that I would like to see be better. Um, just because of the fact that there's, you know, things that really could, add a lot of value to our readers that we're not able to have yet. But I think this is a pretty good stop gap for where we are right now. And, um, you know, it's been just like the logo, right? It's, it's been part of the evolution of the brand, right? The logo at the beginning was something that when you looked at it, uh, by the time I got to year three, I was saying, you know, what is this? What is, what is, if someone has no idea what front office sports means, if someone has no idea what front office sports is, like, what does this say to them? And to me, it said, 
you know, this is uh, 18 to 20 year old kids who are doing this thing. We had big bubble letters, a briefcase, some balls, things like that. And so that was the genesis behind the whole rebrand is we were getting to this point where we were shifting our content, right, from much more of the career-focused stuff to more of the, you know, industry-focused stuff. Uh, we were getting to the point where we were working with more potential partners and more advertisers and things like that. And so I was like, okay, well, on the outset, if we're going to cold reach out to these people, and what are they going to see? And so that was the whole idea is, all right, we're going to create a polished brand imaging with font that's going to match with everything, with the color palette, all these different things across the board so that at least by the time at this point 2018 rolls around, we're going to have a new website and a new brand and something that's going to make us look like we're not you know, just a blog or anything like that, that we're actually for real, that we're actually serious right. about this. Because like I mentioned earlier, this was a hobby and continued to be a hobby after I graduated. Um, like I said, I was working full time at the at a restaurant uh, right after I graduated, and you know, I think that's just like a. I think this is another important thing too is that there's so much emphasis nowadays on people getting a job right after they graduate and getting into the workforce and doing this stuff. Uh, you'd be hard pressed to find a lot more real life lessons than working at like a restaurant. And I'm not saying that's a thing for everyone, right? Uh, I worked at a restaurant all four years at Miami. And, you know, I, by the time I was done, I was a manager there. But there's just like the real life world lessons and, and the things that you learn and by serving people, especially. Uh, it's, just, it's just something that can refine skills. And I don't think that it should be knocked. I don't think it should be, you know, poo-pooed. Uh, because of the fact that it's just someone else out there making a living and they're maybe they're making a living different than you. Uh, so I did that for, gosh, I want to say six months right after school because I had interviews with people, but I told a lot of the people in the interviews, I said, look, I'm not going to give up front office sports. Like I'll still do it on the side. And I, I don't know if that was the, the case and, and the reason why I didn't get the jobs, but you know, I'm thankful that everything has kind of worked out how it has. And so you still had in your head when you graduated that I'm probably going to go work somewhere. Yeah. I mean, that was the plan. It was, I mean, that was the plan forever. It was that, look, we're going to, I'm going to work somewhere and I'm just going to do this on the side. Uh, and a few, very similar, again, is like a repeat, history repeats itself. Very similar to the high school situation. Uh, very similar, you know, when I applied for college, I was like, I had a suicide rush, you know, or whatever you want to call it for the Coast Guard Academy. It didn't work out and I had no backup plan. And so I basically, you know, was focused on this one organization. I went 11 rounds deep in interviews with them. I spoke with them over four months. I was like, there's no way I'm not getting this job. And then when for some reason I didn't to this day, I have no idea why I was like, well, shit, what am I supposed to do now? And Luckily at the time, uh, I had already moved out of my dorm down here, obviously, because it was after I graduated, all my stuff was still down here. And thankfully, uh, the girl who I was living with, her parents, or not the girl who I was living with, the girl who I was dating at the time, her parents owned an apartment not far from campus. And so they let me stay there basically rent free for six months. Uh, and then, you know, I'm super, super thankful for that because I, I didn't have any money saved up. I didn't have anything and I had to go work five days a week at the, at the restaurant while I was still doing the site to save up money because as with anything, it's first month, last month security deposit and rent in Miami. 
you know, first month, last month of security deposit, you're looking at probably three to $4,000 on the low end. Right. And I was a kid coming out of school and I didn't have three to $4,000. I never planned on that. I was like, oh, I'm going to have a job in this. Uh, you know, so it took me a month, two months to get on my feet. And then by, I want to say three or four months, really, uh, it took me before I found my own place uh, and was able to move out and, and get back in the groove and the swing of things. Uh, but then I, I took a job as a, as a TA at Miami, right? So I, my professors were really gracious in that they had an opening and they said, hey, look, we know what you're doing with the site. We want you to be, be around the program. You know, come help us out for a year. We'll give you, it'll give you some stable income. You'll get paid X amount. Um, we know you'll be working on the site while you're doing it, so don't worry about it. We can be, you can do both, but we just want you to help us out. And again, so it's just like some of these things that happen, right? And, and, but you have to put yourself in the positions to have that happen, right? If, if I wouldn't have been, you know, the student I was, and I had spoken with them and built the relationships with them, that would have never happened. And so that was able to give me the crutch that we needed. So where I could still work on this, you know, on the, the site full time while I was still working there, you know, 40 hours a week too, uh, to really try and put something together. And that crutch slowly started to like whittle away as we got into May and we're able to be, you know, and I would really say 2017, we got to the point where we had some really great partners who took a chance. Again, a lot of people just take taking chances on us to, to deliver for them. And we call them our launch partners and it's audience view and MKTG and team infographics and influencer and all these other different people who said, yeah, we'll, we'll take a chance on you because of what you've done so far. And, and that's kind of how, what that's, that's really jump started us. Uh, and then once to the point where three months ago I started full time in May uh, and then that just obviously got us to another level where you, it's just like you take these little steps and then once you get to the point where you can focus for the first time ever, your entire energy and everything on what you love, it, it really starts to, starts to take off. And I think that's where you've seen us be able to do different things with like the videos and the shot callers and even something as simple as we changed all of the imagery on the site recently to doing stuff through Canva uh, where, because I don't, I don't, I know Photoshop. I took a Photoshop class my last semester of school, but I don't really know it well enough. And I really started liking the look of Canva. And I said, look, I want us to have some type of distinct thing. So when people are scrolling down, if they follow us and they interact with our content before they know exactly what they, you know, they scroll by an image and they know, okay, that's exactly an FOS piece. Um, and so it's just like little simple things like that, that I would have never thought I would have the time to do and, and make the changes as, as been the opportunities that we've been able to do and i mean shoot even something as finite as registering the site for google news right like i never had done that before uh but i started looking into it you know we did it two weeks later you know we're top stories on google news for the keywords that were that were that we're using and you know again it's just those little little things it's that one percent right like that i'm talking about it's like you don't have to get better you don't have to you don't have to get a thousand times better every day. You don't have to, you know, sign $40,000 in partnerships every day. But if you do that thing with Google news, if you do that thing with the brand, if you do that thing, you know, with this, the voice on social media, if you, if you take the risk on the newsletter and this is just taking stuff from our stuff, those like little 1% start to add up 
after a while, after a while. And this yeah, is for no just like anyone yeah, in their careers. I think you just take that 1% at a time, you know, whether you implement a new ticketing solution or you, you go to the gym when it's just literally 1% better and it's crazy what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, I think that, that this story has is good information for people that listen to this show to have, cause I'm always pushing, I just have that maker mentality. That's kind of where the whole makers of sport concept comes from, where we should just be yep. creating our own things and kind of pushing like it's, it's a little bit of an entrepreneurial mentality. But what I think what has been good to hear is that I even told you this before we started that you know, I didn't know that you were, you had other jobs, right? Like I thought that oh, yeah. you were just the FO, the FOS guy. And then that was your thing. And then to find out that you're working in a restaurant and these types of things, like the, that's always this, that's the story behind the story. That's always super valuable in my opinion to people that want to start things because too many people look at like these sort of perceived success or outward success or, or even just like the, the success 10, 15 years down the line, like, oh, that person's always been famous. But there's always that like 15 year overnight story. You know what I'm saying? Where yeah. a ba- even a band or an artist or, or anybody, you know, they've been, they've been grinding it out for so long and then people are like, oh, it was an overnight success. But they didn't see <laughs> the person grinding it out back, back in the past. And I think that it's great that you pursued this, you know, uh, quote unquote passion project. Um, and, and I don't think, you know, well, if you were to take a job, like you wouldn't be able to not think about front office sports. Like this is what happened to me. Yeah. I, I, I always in my head was like, yeah, like I'm taking this job because, you know, I want to, I want to have this money, but like, I, you know, in my head, like I'm always building my own thing. Like at, at some point, like I'm always going to build my own thing. And I think if you don't, it, you, you've now kind of crossed over into that threshold where some, one of my uh, buddies here, I used to run around in all these like entrepreneurial circles and obviously every, <laughs> every city has these, these like little tech meetups and what have you and chamber yeah. of commerce things and all that. And, and one of the guys actually, he, I thought that he put it really well one time. He, he used to work at this company called Lexmark, which was a big printing printer company. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he was an engineer there. And then he built this little app on the side, like when the, uh, iOS first came out with the app store and that thing started yeah. like pulling in like 40 grand a year or something. It was just a super niche thing. Like this, this calculator for builders and carpenters. Uh-huh. Cause that was his side thing. He was really into like woodwork and that type of stuff. And then he just talked about how like being an entrepreneur, you kind of like, you kind of catch a bug. Right. And then mm-hmm. when you catch the entrepreneurial bug, like you can't get rid of it. It's very hard to get rid of. Cause even people that you may start something and it may not be what not do well. And then you're like, Oh, I got to get a job cause I got to support myself and my family. But then even if you go work on that job for five years in the back of your mind, you're like, I'm going to start something again one day. You yep. know, <laughs> like there's always, there's always a thing like you just can't shake it. And that's why I can't go work anywhere. Like I, I just can't, I actually tried this. Um, you know, I worked for myself six years full time and then I went and worked at a place when I was 30 or 29 turning 30. And, um, <clears throat> I actually told this story on, you interviewed me on, on front office sports a couple of years ago. And I think actually yeah. at that time you were even talking about, I want to say, I even asked you like, are you planning on just popping right into this full time after school? And I think you were like, ah, maybe I'm, I might get a job. And I'm, I want to say that I pushed you to be like, no dude, you gotta do this. <laughs> this is the, it, it just, it, you have to, I mean, because you're the snowball was, was getting bigger. And, and that's, you know, once you start to have that, it's like, I, I, w- I would have to imagine that since you went all in back in May, th- things have changed a ton. That's just totally a guess. Oh, I mean, you can yeah. confirm that. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, it's, 
you go from, like I said, I was, so I would spend, I would go, my days normally were, I would wake up five-ish, I would do the newsletter in the morning, uh, for everyone who reads the newsletter, if you don't know, I put it together, uh, if you didn't want to know that, oh, okay, whatever, uh, but feel free to give us feedback, we always want more feedback, so I would do, I would do that, and then I would go to university, and I would be at the school from eight to, to five, uh, and then usually three days a week, I would go to work at the restaurant at night, uh, I tried to make it, make sure I was only doing it on the weekend, um, and so I would do that and then I would come back and work on the site at night. And, you know, it just hindered me a lot doing those. Like those other things were great because it was allowing me to continue to build the site. But, you know, I couldn't go and make sure that we had a presence at hashtag and NACTA for an entire week, right? Because I was working still. But now uh, we could, you know, we can make that happen. And it's just something it's just eventually it gets to the point where you're like you just have to bet on your bet on yourself and the team and the people around you and the fact that you're like we're just gonna figure this out and if we don't then we don't right it's and that was my thing early on when after i got after the jobs happened uh i just i just told myself i was like look i don't i i've already served for four years. I know I can make money with my hands if I need to. Uh, you know, I know I can survive. What can I do to make sure we can at least keep this thing going? And, you know, that's, that's what we did is we just tried to make this thing keep going. And, and I mean, honestly, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a me thing, right? After, after three months in, it was never just me, right? It was Russ and I, and then it was Russ, I, and Jay, and then it was Russ, me, Jay, and Austin, and then it was Russ, me, Jay, Austin, Chase, and Tyler, and, you know, and then Lucy, and then all these other people, and, and there's a lot of people who've done so much for us that, you know, you can't ever thank, right? Um, there's just been people who've supported us, there's been people who've introduced us, there's been people that have done all these things, but the thing is, is you just if you don't try, you're never going to get to that point. And so with me, I was still very disappointed with how baseball had turned out uh, because of the fact that I never, and even at going back to high school when I was swimming, right? I only swam for four years, but by the time I was a senior, I had gotten pretty decent at it, but I didn't pursue it, right? Like I stopped. And with baseball, I played club in college, but you know, I didn't go someplace where I knew I could play and I never gave myself a real shot. So I was looking back at those two things and I was like, well, I loved both of them dearly, but I didn't really give them a real shot. So I said, before I get to the point where I'm 25, that was my goal. I was going to, uh, my age, I was going to set for myself. And, and still to this day, if FOS isn't anything by 25, I, I hope is not the case, but you know, I'll probably go on and do something else. But I told myself, look, I mean, what the heck, right? Like you can, you can work a hundred hours a week. You have no kids, you have no dog, you have really no expenses. You had a girlfriend at the time, but you know, that, you know, that kind of ends up happening how it does, right. In terms of you're working so much and, and things just didn't end up working out. But I was like, you're just never going to have this opportunity again to say, look, I, I, I went all in on something that I actually loved for the first time. And I want to see what happens. And I think that's, it's super, super scary. It's, 
super crazy. You fight battles every single day. Uh, are you good enough? Are you, you know, are you saying the right things? Are you doing the right things? You know, is this going to work? Are you talking to the right people? You know, are you making enough money? Is, is this move the right move? And, you know, it's, it's so funny because it's, it's an inward battle as much as it is an external battle, right? Like obviously there's things that are going on outside, right? You're trying to deal with other competitors and people who are, you know, who are working with your partners and, you know, all these other things. And it's just like, there's all that. And then at the same time internally, you know, you sit there and I mean, this may be just for me or for other people. And even like a story that I know has been edited 20 times and that is most likely correct all the way through, you know, even when I hit publish on that, I still get a knot in my stomach. Like something's going to be wrong and something (laughs) is going to be upset. And it's just so very hard to get past that. Yeah. But like the thing is, is that it just starts, it really does start to snowball. Uh, And the thing is, is like, it snowballs quicker if, if, if you bring a lot of value to, to people, right? My big thing has always been never to ask for anything, right? You know, never to, especially in this industry where there's a lot of people who may make a connection and the next thing you know is they're asking for tickets or for jerseys or for this or for that or for this or for that. Uh, if you're the people who don't, the, the things that you get come your way are, are much better, right? Um, so, you know, it's just it's just literally go out of your way to produce as much value as you possibly can. I mean, look like the site, perfect example, right? Everything we do is free because it's value, right? Like for us is that if I can create so much value and get so many people engaged with the business and the site, because we have a free webinar or something like that, or, you know, we do the shot callers for free and like everything, we're not asking anything, of anyone, right? Like we just say, Hey, look, we're producing this stuff. We think you're going to like it. If you like it, share it. If you want, read it, if you want, share it with your coworkers. What, but at the, other than the, the partners that we have, there's really no ask of anyone. And then if we have the partners, right. And we ask them for monetary or support or whatever it may be, then obviously we're going above and beyond them. But you know, you can do a lot by never having to ask anyone for anything. And obviously our experience is a little bit different. And I mean, really the fact is we started off by asking people to tell their story. I said, how can, you know, how can I tell your story uh, versus, you know, I need something, right? What can I do for you? Uh, How can I add value for you? You know, what can I do? Uh, And and, and you flip it that way and, and things just tend to tend to, to snowball and, and here we are. And like I said, this was never supposed to happen. Uh, so still every single day when I wake up and I see some of the things, I'm like, how did this get to this point? And, and quite honestly, it's still very, very, very much a learning experience. I don't have a business background. I've never run a business before. So every single day I wake up and dread the fact that I have to, to look at numbers or try and do any type of forecasting or anything like that. Uh, so it's just a, yeah, it's an internal battle, but when you think about it and you you look back and I say to myself, all right, so I may have not gotten a job out of school, but I've spent the last, by the time I'm probably done with this two, three, four, five, six years, whatever it is being able to do this. Um, I think I've learned enough, right. That it's been able to be very fruitful and yeah, I may not be making a hundred thousand dollars a year. I may not even be making $40,000 a year, but like, 
the value and the other things that have come with the fact that we've been able to do this is just exponentially above the whatever the salary could be or whatever the lifestyle could be. Um, well, the, uh, so, the, the long game is going to pay off on something like this. I mean, this is the one thing about being an entrepreneur is like there's a certain grit that 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 you have to have. And you have to understand, like, there's going to be peaks and valleys. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the, the, the uh, you guys, you're kind of learning as you go, right? And I think that's something that's crucial to have when you're starting something, too. I mean, I didn't have a business background. I love business now. I read about business all the time. But that, that, that education has come from books and come from mentors and talking to people about yep. things. Even just speaking about financial stuff. Like, I mean, 10 years ago, when I was two years out into in, in out of school, I didn't even know, you know I didn't know what like venture capital was or or like some of these financial terms, right? But this is stuff that you can learn over time. And I actually I have a friend who has an MBA, and and he, and I and I asked him I was like, should I go back and get my MBA? Um, and he was like, why? You started a business. I mean, I think that's one thing that happens when you start a business is you learn you learn business. I mean, you have to because if you don't, you literally are homeless. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. that's just the reality. Um, so man, just uh, congratulations on it. I mean, I, I think even circling back to what you said, where, where you're mentioning, you know, this goal of, of making it to 25 and if is front office sports a thing, I think that you could probably say that front office sports is a thing. I mean, I'll go ahead and say that for you because people talk <laughs> about front office sports. I mean, you, you have a, you have a huge place in, in the, the sports business. I mean, now obviously there's those old publications like sports business journal, which to me is crazy. Like you, I, that model is ridiculous. Who would pay $2,000 or whatever it is to get those magazines delivered to their, their doorstep. I can't, I can't remember how much it is, but it's, it's very outrageous. <laughs> Cause I looked into it one time to, to subscribe. Um, but you know, like you guys, you're going to be fine, man. I mean, just keep grinding it out. And I appreciate you coming on board and telling the story and kind of sh sharing some of the vulnerabilities behind it, because this is the type of stuff that helps people. And, and a lot of people that listen to my show, they sometimes they're beaten up. Sometimes they work in house at a team and, and they, you know, they just have, it's like sort of, uh, I mean, I hate to compare it to this, but it's kind of like working at at McDonald's, you know what I'm saying? It's just kind of this grinded out work every single day. And some of it's not super creative and, 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 uh, you know, you're doing exactly what some owner says and, but they, in their heads, they're like, I really want to do something someday. And I think that, um, to sort of like, I guess, refute one thing that you said, you had mentioned that you're never going to get this opportunity again. I, I will say you won't ever get this opportunity. <laughs> you won't ever get this opportunity again without having more responsibilities, right? Like this is the only yeah. time in your life that you're going to have like no kids, no, I mean, once you have kids, man, it's like game changer, right? But this yeah. is the only time in your life you're going to have no, like less expenses, which I think is a perfect time to start a business in my opinion. And that's what people actually told me when I did mine. My father-in-law was a, a big executive and had sold a company. And, and at one point he even mortgaged his house to take a gamble on something and, and, and it ended up working out. It, it ended up working out. Um, and, uh, and he told me, he was like, listen, you don't have any kids, man. Like you don't have, like right now you got it. Like basically at the time, you know, you got a wife, um, or, or whatever. And I, you know, when I started my business, I was dating my now wife, but I mean, I yeah. wasn't having to like, um, you know, f like, f I don't know, fund our like joint 401k or whatever. It's like some random, yep. <laughs> random thing. Right. But, but 
I do want to encourage people that maybe are a little bit older that you you will always have opportunities to do stuff. You're just not going to have yeah. like what you were saying because our careers are really a long thing. I mean, I posted something the other day about the guys that founded Wyden Kennedy, which is like Nike's advertising agency. They do incredible yep. work. They were like, one of them was 40 and one of them was like 37. So there's yeah. always going to be an opportunity and, you know, God willing, we all get to live long lives. Um, we, you'll have opportunities. So I just don't like when people, I don't want people to give up because I do have some, I do know some people, they, t- they maybe get to like 35 and they're like, man, it's over. You know, like I'm, it's done. Nah. It's like, nah, man, 35 is young. Like I still feel young. 35, you have all the connect in 35. You have all the connections now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 35, man. Like this is, this yeah. is, I feel, I, I love, I love where I'm at now. I almost feel like I have two careers because it was like, I had the freelance, I was freelancing full time in my twenties. And then I, when I like between 29 and 30, I took a job at an agent as a, at a creative uh, interactive agency. And it's almost like, it's almost like, you know, that with like the dates like BC AD or whatever, it's almost like <laughs> BC was like that career. And then like, there was this gap in the middle where I took a job for a year and then there's AD, which is like everything makers of sport up until now, which has been like four or five years. So, there's like seasons of life that yeah. we all have. And, and, uh, you know, I just want to encourage people that listen to this, that, you know, take advantage of those seasons of life and understand that, that you maybe are in a season of life. That's, that's rough right now, but just because it's rough over the last three years, doesn't mean it have to be, has to be rough the next seven years of this particular decade of life. Right. No, I mean, all it takes is, a concentrated focus for like six months and you can, you can change a lot of things about whatever your life is. You know, the big, everyone says it is, this is just a lot of people. The, the, the furthest thing between, you know, someone getting started and, and someone, you know, getting it done is the fact that people just don't start. Right. Like all you have to do is start. Oh, and absolutely. You're going to fall and you're going to trip and you're going to do this stuff. But you have to remember that, it's not going to be what you see on Instagram. It's not going to be what you see wherever you want. It's not, but the thing is, is you can't, you can't judge whatever everyone else is doing and you can't judge yourself on that. Right. Like, yeah, it's cool to aspire to be, you know, maybe whoever it may be. But the thing is, is that quite honest with you, especially if there's, you know, younger people who may be listening, once you get out of high, once you get out of college, no one gives a shit about what you're doing. Right. Oh, right, no one cares. Right. Like maybe your family is, maybe your parents do is, but as long as you're paying the bills, you could be working at a restaurant. You could be changing tires. You could be doing whatever. As long as you're making enough money to live, you're not relying on too many people. Like people could care less, right? right. People, other people, friends. I, I understand there's a stigma, especially you know, with different types of social media is like, you know, making sure your clout and you're flexing and like all these things on the, on, on specifically on Instagram, which is like cool and all, but just like, it, it's cool in college, but as soon as you're out of college, it, it just, no one cares. Like, no, everyone again becomes like, we've always said is that same person. Everyone's just a human. They're trying to make themselves great. Uh, and the thing is too, is that while uh, one of the other things too, I found is that, you know, while you're trying to make yourself great, there's no reason that you can't either a help other people make themselves great, uh, and b have the opportunity to just 
just keep going and focus in, in, on your thing and, and whatever it may be, you know, you don't want to compare anyone to, to LeVar Ball or whatever. But the fact when he says, like, stay in your own lane, and obviously he says it in, in different connotations, and I'm not saying, like, you should say these things to people the way he does, but the fact of the matter is, like, the saying is, like, if you really just stay in your lane and focus on specifically what it is that you want to do day in and day out and not worry about, people who are doing other things or traveling or going out or whatever, you know, having these lavish lifestyles, the opportunity is there, right? Like I just actually saw a quote for every new innovation. There's like five new other innovations that can come from that, right? Because things change and there's a new opportunity and there's, you know, even just, yeah, you can actually look at that with just sports. I mean, yeah, you can look at that because I actually, there's a, there's a book, um, uh, called Win Without Pitching. It's written by this guy named Blair Ends, and it talks about specializing as a creative. And so a lot of people are afraid. They're, they think that if they specialize, that it'll, it will rob them of opportunities. And what he, ha- what he mentions is that, so actually when you specialize, you'll go through a door, and then what you'll find is that there's a whole bunch of other doors. So if you even just think about this conversation now and you starting front office sports, it's like, okay, well, you're specializing in sports, right? So people, that's that's the first door. Then the next door is, oh, there's team sports. Oh, there's college sports. Oh, there's there's esports. And then you go through those doors and there's there's other doors within there. So it's like these niches within niches within niches. And it's this crazy, crazy thing that that as you sort of go deeper into like these micro interactions of a particular niche, there's even more opportunities, right? So, and I think it's like that with everything. And I wanted to kind of, kind of wrap up with this. Um, you were mentioning staying in your own lane, just fo- you know, folk. Essentially, what what I'm what I'm taking away from that is is basically focus, right? Focus on the thing that you care about. And and so I'm reading this book right now, and this is um, this is it's kind of well recommended. Um, it's written by Gary Keller, who's this who's the Keller Williams Realty guy. Um, you know, real, real nationwide realty firm. Um, and anyway, so Gary Keller wrote this book called The One Thing, right? And so basically the whole premise behind the book, and I'm in the middle of it, so I'm, I'm not all, all the way finished, but essentially it's find the one thing that is that is that you want to do and essentially do that, right? And then once you do that, then that could lead to other things, right? So, so like right now for me personally, I want to... I want to get better at motion design and get super heavy in After Effects. I want to get deeper into learning how to code the back end of things and how to, you know, literally be self-reliant and not have to outsource coding and that type of stuff. So my my takeaway from that book would be, oh, pick one. Pick one, focus on it. Because what happens is you can paralyze yourself. So what's happened, mm-hmm. like 10 years ago, I said I was going to learn After Effects. I mean, I remember these Ford commercials came out, these F-150 commercials with Mike Rowe, the Dirty Jobs guy, and all the type was going yep. across the screen. I was like, I want to learn how to do that. And I bought After Effects. This was before you, you got it all as a package. I never learned because I, I kept having in my head, like, oh, I need to learn this other thing first. I need to learn this other thing first. And then it's like, if you think about it, if I would have just sat down and focused on it 10 years ago, I could have been an absolute expert 10 years later. I mean, are you kidding me? So it's, yeah. it's you know, you can't paralyze yourself and you basically have to focus. Well, man, listen, I appreciate you coming on board and and, and telling telling this story. Um, and obviously, I appreciate you bringing me on uh, Front Office Sports a couple yeah, of years ago. So of I wanted to return the favor. I think what you guys are doing is awesome. And, and I think just being young and pushing and pushing yourself to be an entrepreneur is, is a great thing. Even if, even if you don't, like you said, even if it doesn't end up being like a multi-million dollar company, but you just make a living, 
right? Even if you can yeah. just make a living, to me, that's successful. So why don't you just uh, give us, what's your, what are your links, man? Sh- shoot us your links, your social media links, where people can follow you, where people can ask you personally questions, and then obviously give the front office sport links. Yeah, it's just uh, at FOS Adam on Twitter. Uh, at F, I think F, no, it's like at, or at Adam White, like one word. I think it's like three underscores on Instagram. Those are the only two ones I, I really use. You should change uh, that one to FOS Adam. Yeah, I think it's already taken. I don't oh, know, I okay, okay. I got yeah, you. I think it's already taken because I'm like FOS Adam everywhere else. So, and then LinkedIn is just Adam White, and then Front Office Sport is F R N T O F F I C E S P O R T, and then we have the new FOS Jobs too, which is the job board uh, that we launched recently. So at FOS Jobs J O B S, uh, that's a good spot. We post a lot of jobs up there. I uh, kind of got it away from our main handle uh, let's see what else actually that's a good I'm, I'm glad you brought that up there are are like senior creatives with teams that listen to this if they want to get a job posted to fos sports yep. how do they go about doing that just uh you can reach out to me it's uh, adam at frontoffice same exact thing as our twitter handle f-r-n-t-o-f-f-i-c-e-s-p-o-r-t.com uh, and i can point them in the right direction but uh yeah no i think that's uh it's been a really good spot for us to kind of expand to naturally with the jobs report obviously we have that coming out wednesdays uh 12 o'clock it's pretty crazy i think we have I want to say close to 5,000 people subscribe to just the jobs report alone. Uh, and that thing does over 50% open rate every week, That's week solid. in and week out. So uh, it's really, really cool to see how many people are getting jobs or learning about jobs through that. So yeah, I, I usually post that. the creative ones in my own community, um, in my own yeah. Slack channel for the designers and stuff in there. Yep. Cool, man. Well, thanks again for coming aboard. Good luck with Yeah, I appreciate with it. it. Thanks. Thanks, Adam. My next guest is going to be Jeremy Mitchell. Jeremy is a creative director at a Nashville advertising agency called Red Pepper. However, most of us in the sports world know Jeremy for a side project, Mitchell Bat Company, a company that hand paints wooden bats and has collaborated with major advertising agencies, Major League Baseball, and professional athletes. This episode will also be episode 100, and I plan to give away a commemorative Makers of Sport bat to a listener. Stay tuned on MOS Twitter for details on how to enter to win. In the meantime, you can follow Mitchell Bat Company on Twitter at Mitchell Bat Co. Big thanks again to Adam White for taking time out of his very busy travel schedule to share his story and the history of front office sports. Again, as he mentioned, you can follow him on Twitter at FOSAdam, and front office sports is at front office sport and that's front with no o so f-r-n-t office sport if you're interested in hearing more makers of sport episodes head over to makersofsport.com slash episodes to check out previous interviews or listen to the original halftime episodes where i discuss business entrepreneurship and freelance in the sports industry If you want to support this podcast, which means a lot to me and my family personally and allows me to continue the production of the show, which I offer to listeners ad-free, you can do so by joining the paid member community at makersofsport.com 
com slash community. In exchange for your fiscal support, you'll have access to additional and ever-changing content such as private Q&As with future former and special guests, monthly video hangouts, as well as interact, share private feedback, and build relationships with like-minded professionals in the community chat. The member benefits are constantly changing and all the community content including the Q&As, are recorded and available at any time you join. So if you get value from this content coming from this podcast or its other information sharing outlets such as social media, then I ask that you please consider supporting the show fiscally by voting with your hard-earned dollars and joining the community. You can also subscribe to the newsletter at makersofsport.com slash email. Additionally, I ask that you take one to two minutes and head over to makersofsport.com slash iTunes, click the five star and write about your positive experience with the podcast. This helps others like yourself discover the podcast and the value it brings educationally to people wanting to work on the creative side of the sports business. Additionally, I will accept likes or ratings on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast application you enjoy listening to. I'm at T. Adam Martin on all social media, including Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, and pretty much everywhere on the interwebs. The show is at Makers of Sport. Until next time, have a good week.